This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Jake Morkham. The show today starts with Matthias. Hi, my name is Matthias Holting. For 11 years, Matthias worked at Procter & Gamble, a multinational specialising in personal health and care products. So working with hair care brands and uh, cosmetics, fragrances and so on. After a decade of corporate life, Matthias and his former colleague, now business partner Peter, set out to do something a little more disruptive. What we were going to do became very clear when my colleague went into a sex shop. One day, back in 2011, Matthias's colleague was looking to buy a vibrator for his girlfriend, who's now his wife. And he recounts the whole experience of going into the sex shop was just... Horrible. Horrible in what way? Things have changed a lot since the 2011 environment. But at the time, the sex shops were mostly sort of dingy back alley shops. The communication was vulgar. And it was an environment where men would buy things to use on women rather than things for women to enjoy on their own. What was on the market at that time? You had uh, brands that produced quite cheap products made out of rubber, shaped basically like uh, penises. Rubber dildos and even the vibrators would look very phallic. And it's not to judge the people that make those products or that buy those products, but they don't speak to the women that we knew. Matthias says it was when the Swedish brand Lilo came along that sex toys took on a new life. That really brought gorgeous design, sleek, clean, nice aesthetics into sex toys. This inspired Matthias and his partner to launch their own line of vibrators, the Smile Makers. The idea that we came up with was to poke a bit of fun at stereotypical sexual fantasies. So we actually did a survey of about a thousand women around the world when we asked them to send in what their fantasies were. The top four, the fireman, the tennis coach, the millionaire, and the Frenchman. The fireman now is inspired by a flame and it's a clitoral vibrator. The tennis coach is inspired by a tennis ball in motion and it's a G-spot vibrator. But Matthias explains they had one clear goal with Smile Makers they didn't want them sold in sex shops. Instead, they wanted to sell them as sexual well-being products. Our approach is to tie up with uh, the medical community, with sexologists, with family planning institutes that can strengthen the case for sexual health and sexual well-being, how it impacts physical and emotional well-being, and why it's legitimate to stock them in everyday environments. Selling this idea, Matthias says, isn't hard, as he believes there's a huge appetite for sexual wellness products. About 50% of adult women in the developed world have used a vibrator, and you know, 20 to 30% even in many developing markets. But where it's really difficult is getting your idea off the ground, especially when the bank says this to you when asking for a loan. We don't work with this industry. Smile Makers is just one example of a business in the adult industry. The industry itself is much broader, 
ranging from businesses that sell sex toys to sex work, to pornography and camming. But a common thread across all of these ventures is stigma. Not only are those working in adult often demoralised for what they do, but in many cases are forcefully excluded from the financial institutions that could help them get their start. Today on the show, we're looking at financial discrimination towards the adult industry and how digital currencies could cut out the gatekeepers. Matthias explains at the beginning, SmileMakers was self-funded, so there was no interaction with banks. But they did face rejection elsewhere because of their ties to the adult industry. It was more like getting product liability insurance. Product liability insurance means you don't pay any legal fees when someone claims an injury as a result of your product. Our vibrators are made by the same manufacturer that makes hi-fi products. They make stuff for Fitbit and Nike Fuel Band. So there's no reason to believe that these products wouldn't get product liability insurance, but most of the insurance companies saying, oh, we don't want to work with your industry. What was the reasoning on behalf of these insurance companies that they didn't want to work with you? It was just a blanket statement. If you push people for logic around why they don't want to get involved with this category, there's rarely any real reasoning or logic. It's just a knee-jerk emotional reaction. Because whether or not they're aware, these blanket statements, no, we won't engage in your industry, is in turn telling the people who might want to engage in your product, you don't have the right and you don't deserve, you're not entitled to this. Right. So not only saying that you're not entitled to using safe products that have gone through all the types of safety inspection and quality inspections, but you're starting to risk looking very archaic in your view of sexual health. There is another reason why banks in particular say they won't work with adult. And that's because they pigeonhole the adult industry as high risk. How does a bank determine what is high risk? To determine risk basically is whether they can repay their loan. This is Adrian Lee, a senior lecturer in finance from the University of Technology, Sydney. So you look at the project, whether it's viable, whether they have enough cash flows to pay you back at the certain interest rates. The reason banks will claim adult is high risk is not because there's no money in it. But to them, it's a foreign market, and they're scared they won't get their money back. Leah Callon-Butler, a newcomer to the industry, admits while there are risks to investing in adult, she believes that banks will use those risks against them. An example of this is with chargebacks. This is where someone buys a product or service and then for whatever reason will retract that purchase and ask for their money back. This happens all the time in adult. And you can imagine how frustrating that must be if you're a business operator. Like, who cares if they're feeling upset about what they did last night? They bought a product, you delivered it, 
For those in adult, while this is a pain, Leah says they're usually pretty cool about it. And if they're a good customer, it's not too much skin off their nose to send the money back. But what they don't want to happen is for that customer to call the bank, as the bank might read that as, your business model is unsustainable and you can't pay us back. Because they've already got these fragile banking relationships. They're already charging them high interest rates. They're already at risk of having their account blocked. They're already classed or stigmatized as a high-risk processor. You can imagine what it looks like when the bank's getting calls from customers going, oh my God, they like charge my card when they shouldn't have. So you could say, well, yeah, adult is high risk in terms of payment processing because it's, it's likely that we're going to get a lot of this chargebacks. But I feel like that's used against them as well. Leah says these attitudes towards adult exist beyond the banking sector, in investor circles as well. If you took the adult label off this industry, the savviest, smartest entrepreneurs in the world would be clamouring to get a piece of that action. It is such an underserved and in some cases completely unserved industry. It is just sitting there waiting for someone to come and fix the problems and make a fuck tonne of money. But people won't do it because of reputational risk. They don't want that that adult label on their career. Not only do investors and banks not want that adult label, for the most part, neither do consumers. As Leah explained with chargebacks, to have a payment on record for a product or service you bought in the adult industry freaks a lot of people out where their knee-jerk reaction is to blame the provider. However, Leah believes there's a way around this, to ensure both the privacy of the consumer, but also that the provider gets paid. Adult, because it was really struggling with all these other services that the rest of us take for granted, they might be some of the first early adopters to actually start using crypto. While you might be familiar with cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin or Ethereum, the extent to which they're used to pay for things is still pretty limited. It's not that there isn't any uh, uses of it. Adrian Lee. It's just that it hasn't gone through the mainstream. Leah believes this could change with the adult industry. Leah is the co-founder of Intimate.io, pitched as a cryptocurrency solution for the adult industry. Intimate's main focus is building a payment gateway, a digital infrastructure that adult industry providers could use on their platforms. This gateway would allow people to pay for products and services with any cryptocurrency they choose. And the best part, no one would know what you're buying. For many people, there's a high level of intimidation and fear in purchasing your first product. So to be able to offer those customers a certain extra level of anonymity or privacy, they could potentially purchase with um, crypto instead. Crypto payments are made and stored on the blockchain, an encrypted ledger, where your payments are accessible only to you and to those who you give permission. This means if you buy, for example, a vibrator from SmileMakers, your purchase won't be publicly stamped across a bank statement. 
for us, we always struggled with, okay, but if some people are nervous about walking into shop and walking out with a vibrator, other people are nervous about sort of leaving that digital footprint by buying it online, how are we going to be able to sell to them? And that's why Intimate is the perfect solution for that, because it's essentially a truly anonymous purchase. But what makes crypto attractive to those working in adult is not just offering privacy for their consumers, but financial autonomy. Crypto means not relying on the financial institutions that have systematically tried to silence them. Institutions that have actively closed bank accounts and shut down businesses just because they're in the adult industry. Crypto offers greater freedom over what they want to do and how they want to do it, without prejudice. Leah says the industry is raring for change. The need for this solution is so urgent and so great. Where in just over a year, Intimate have partnered with over 45 different merchants around the world. So we have every segment of adult, everything from adult content, say porn online, which is pre-recorded and uploaded, or it could be webcams where you go on and interact with a person. We've got Paul Raymond Publications in the UK. It's the biggest producer of porn over there, most well-established company. We've got quite a few content producers and distributors within the LGBTIQ space, namely uh, Lucas Entertainment, Dominic Ford, Just for Fans. We also have escorting platforms. We deal with a Japanese love hotel group. We've obviously got lots of uh, novelty producers and retailers, so smile makers, but also another one called Emoji Beta. They make emoji-themed vibrators, like you can imagine the aubergine or eggplant as a vibrator. <laughs> it's so cool. Dating as well, and swingers parties, and media. Oh, and gaming. Like, this is the thing. People have no idea that the industry is so broad. Um, it covers so, so much, so many different types of consumers, products and services and merchants, but they all struggle with the same issues. While crypto offers some huge opportunities for the adult industry, finance lecturer Adrian Lee notes there are some drawbacks. One is security. Adrian explains while the blockchain, where your crypto transactions take place, is secure, your currency is kept in a digital wallet, where to access your wallet, you have a key. And if you lose that key... If you don't store that key properly, say put it on your hard drive, then people could hack into your computer, which is nothing to do with the crypto network, and all they need is that key, and then they can transfer your crypto into their own wallets or somewhere else. But a major concern is the regulation of cryptocurrency. What makes crypto a viable alternative for adult is that it remains unregulated, where no regulation means they're not at the whim of financial institutions. But as crypto evolves, Adrian believes that could quickly change. If crypto becomes more mainstream, the government will come in and say, hey, it's getting bigger, we're worried about it, we're going to regulate it. And then people who like crypto because they don't like regulation 
they're kind of stuck. They have to go somewhere else. The motivations to regulate vary from cracking down on nefarious activity on the blockchain. It's known that people have used it to, uh, say, buy drugs. And also, it's been shown in crypto exchanges, people have pumped up the price to attract more people to buy it, and then they've sold on that pump. So it's called a pump and dump scheme. But also to controlling who can engage with crypto, where regulation could make it much harder to access or block people out completely. Adrian cautions if it's governments and banks deciding who can and can't use it, adult could be in trouble. Cutting adult off from crypto, Leah is sad to say, is already happening. Not because regulation is ousting them out, but because of prejudice from within the crypto community. Leah says this started with BitPay, the most broadly used payment gateway. It's like PayPal for crypto. In February 2018, BitPay, that had a huge penetration (laughs) into the adult industry, um, revoked services. They said, oh, we're not doing any high-risk payment processing anymore, so no adult, and people had four weeks to do something else with their business because then the API would be revoked. Leah fears this attitude towards adult is all too common across crypto. This became clear when Intimate was set to exhibit at Web Summit last year, the largest technology conference in the world. For those who don't know, the backstory is we were accepted and then rejected from exhibiting at Web Summit. Pretty phenomenal place to be if you're trying to get exposure, if you're an early stage startup. So you can imagine how excited we were. We'd paid for our exhibitor package, we'd paid for our flights, we'd paid for our accommodation, everything, which is a big stretch for a startup. And then suddenly, you know, I think it was like three weeks before the conference, we got this email saying, uh, you can't exhibit because we think the content of your business will make female entrepreneurs uncomfortable. My co-founder Ruben went through a, a really rigorous acceptance process and then at the end they gave us this kind of lame excuse saying oh we thought you were a different business and that's why we accepted you and now we're rejecting you and I was like no you didn't and look I hear where they're coming from um, because that year they had been doing a lot to try and shift the dial on gender diversity at the conference because they'd copped a lot of criticism about the fact that it was teaming with men and there weren't enough women and I was thinking well you know what I have a vagina Maybe they'd like to hear my ideas. (laughs) Um, So I kind of went on this rant of going, look, um, totally get where you're coming from, but please let me express my opinion because I think we need to have conversations around this industry and we actually need to bring different perspectives and different voices in. And people who feel uncomfortable with the subject, I'd say they're the ones who should be participating more. Like how do we make the industry more inclusive and challenge this idea that it's just for dirty men or something? <laughs> um, but it didn't work. They they still, um, they said no. They said, well, you can still attend, but you can't exhibit. For Intimate, it's still early days where the beta version of their payment gateway was launched only a month or so back. To Leah, this means not only is there room for attitudes to change, but as Intimate grows, they're readying to tackle whatever obstacles come their way. 
There's lots of other crypto payment gateways that exist right now, um, but they're all adult friendly. They often have at least some adult customers. We're not adult friendly, we're adult specific. We don't do any of the other things that usually get chucked in the high risk bucket like cannabis or gambling or alcohol or guns. Um, Weird example, but still (laughs) it's classed in the same sort of thing. We do adult and nothing else. So whatever we're building will be tailored specifically for the industry. And if we come across some kind of obstacle against adult, obviously we're going to do everything we possibly can to address it or move around it or absorb it or whatever, because that's the only thing that we're built to solve. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Think Digital Futures. And we also have a website, 2SER.com forward slash Think Digital Futures. I'm Jake Morecambe. Thanks for your company.